Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's some, some tough sledding right here next couple weeks, some tough sledding. But uh, Solomon's lab results have come back. They, he's gotten them. Took a few decades. Took him a while. But at least his analysis we know is thorough. It's comprehensive. It is complete. His exam, it wasn't a physical exam. It is a social, spiritual exam to discover whether it is preferable to live by wisdom and have to endure the agony of a, of a crumbling society around him, or join in the revelry of madness and folly. We talked last week about laughter, pleasures, intoxicating substance, materialism, fornication, idolatry, all which were descriptive of the madness and folly in Solomon's life. So, which is better? Chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, applying intelligence. Or chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, devolve into a materialistic hedonism. And just live for today uh, in madness. The first, which is wisdom, endures reality. The second, folly, it tries to escape it tries to find a way to just escape the reality of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12, we read Solomon's report card. This is his report now, his lab report, uh, after he wasted decades of his life in madness and in folly. So, Solomon writes, I turned to consider wisdom, madness and folly, For what will a man do who will come after the king, except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity, for there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. Well, the primary source of Solomon's frustration is that he just he he really is not that thrilled with the two options that he has under the sun. Neither path has proven that satisfying in life, and in the end, both are going to die. Yet the wise will be forced to live as sojourners as they endure the reality and the sin around them. 
It'll feel as if they don't belong. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, indeed, this conundrum leaves God's redeemed, desiring a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, we are told God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is hope beyond the sun. Not a lot of hope Solomon finds under the sun at all. But we should feel like strangers in exile. It should be an uncomfortable place. And, and, and this is the way that Christians have endured now for centuries. Persecution and troubles and hardships. Rejection by the culture around them. Uh, many times severe austerity. Because they, they were marginalized or could not earn a decent living. Um, meanwhile... The fool feels quite at home in this world. Uh, It's notable that uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, Solomon's name does not get memorialized in the famous Hall of Faith. You won't find his name there anywhere, uh, along with Abraham and the others. Uh, He didn't spend his whole life uh, looking for that that next country, looking ahead beyond the sun, Uh, But he vested the majority of his life and his labors discovering ways to try to make this sinful world just a little more comfortable. How can I fit in and be just a little more comfortable in this world? Uh, That was Solomon's life, the majority of it. It isn't that Solomon wasn't saved. I believe he was. Scripture says that God loved Solomon in 2 Samuel 12, verse 24. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 6, God told uh, Solomon's dad, King David, said, For I have chosen Solomon to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. So there's sovereign election right there as well. God also uses him to pen three books of the Bible. You've got Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs. Uh, so, so Solomon is one of God's elect. But his portrait is not hanging in the hall of faith because he, he was not seeking a better country. His, his portrait, his picture just isn't going to be there. See, he was not living a life uh, that was a role model for believers, for Christians uh, or the Old Testament saints. Christians, we, we just can't be satisfied under the sun. There, there's not enough here uh, for us to be satisfied. In, in fact, we should be uncomfortable. That's a good thing. We should feel like this is just a really, really small suit. Just fits really badly for us. Can't quite get comfortable at all. But regardless, while we are here, while we are living under the sun, we, we will be required to choose to live by one or the other, either wisdom or folly. God used this experiment in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This experiment, this test in Solomon's life to make our choice crystal clear. Crystal clear where the Christian lines lines up. In verse 12, we read that Solomon turned to consider. It means that he, he now is going to assess, he's going to examine the results, the consequences of a life lived by wisdom. And he's going to compare that to an experience of, of madness and folly. You know, madness and folly are, are closely, actually inseparably related with Solomon. So he's going to condense them. We're going to see in verse 13, 
He condenses madness and folly into one category that he just calls folly. It's, it, it, folly, it's, it's a word that's fallen out of use uh, in modern English. It means senseless diversion. Just being diverted senselessly from what is important. So, so there are only two options in the passage, wisdom or folly. And here's where we find just a glimmer. There's a, there's a small, slight glimmer of hope here, a little bit of promise in Solomon after just decades of, of indulgence, really sick indulgence. He finally begins to think about, what about the others who are going to come after him? What's going to happen to them? He says, what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? The man, the word is Adam, sons of Adam. The man is meant to be understood broadly. It implies that Solomon is looking even beyond his immediate son named Rehoboam, who will be the next king. Uh, Solomon's looking beyond to future generations who might find themselves foolish enough to repeat the same experiment. You follow me? He's looking to the next generations, and his concern about his immediate heir, Rehoboam, he's going to come into the picture next week. His heir to the throne, we're going to look at him next Sunday. But here, Solomon is concerned about all men who will come and follow after the steps that he, that he modeled for us. Because you and I will embrace this experiment according to God's will and according to His Spirit, um, uh, we, we will persevere. We, we, will, we will be in that better country that He has prepared for us. Uh, but if you do not embrace the wisdom, uh, you are destined at best, at the very best, best destined to repeat this exact same experiment just going to get the same results again and again hedonism and folly what will a man do except what has already been done it's solomon's scientific assurance here that that the results that he has in his lab tests they're reliable they're consistent they're scientific if you remember from science class what is scientific means that you can repeat the same experiment over and over again right and it's going to give a consistent result that's what Solomon is saying. Um, you can't, because he's the wisest man that ever lived until the time of Christ. Christ is the God-man. But, but since he is the, the wisest man who ever lived, you, you, can't, you can't score higher than Solomon. In fact, you're probably going to fare far worse than the results that we see with Solomon here. If you follow his path of madness and folly you will eventually fail morally. You will. Uh, especially if you're a Christian, because our Father in Heaven uh, uh, is right to chastise us when, when we fall to a path apart from Him. Uh, because, uh, because we are Christians, if we follow folly, your wife or your husband will find out about it. Or worse, maybe it's not worse, the authorities will find out about what you have been doing. During the pursuit of folly, you could become dependent upon chemical substance. You could be confronted by a jealous spouse at some point. 
And as Solomon will mourn and lament next week, you are going to leave all of the fruit of your labor behind after you die. That's next week. That's next week. Leaving it all behind. But none of us should should dare to think, you know, I Solomon was a pretty smart cookie. I realize that, but but maybe I could maybe I could try the same experiment and I might fare a little better. None of us should think that we would if we were to give this a whirl, our results might be different. Solomon assures his failed experiment in, fo- uh, in folly and madness, it's going to be futile. It is futile for all men. As I said last week, this is one of the reasons I really do not, um, do not covet the lives of people who possess a lot materially. I really do not. I don't envy them. They've acquired vast possessions in the world. Scripture actually says that that is an evidence of their, of their emptiness. Evidence of their emptiness. And, and, and it's why so many wealthy people become depressed. They become prone to suicide. You see it again and again uh, in Hollywood, uh, among stars, amongst those who are, who are very, very successful in the eyes of the world. They become casualties of the very same experiment. Follow me, they're getting the same result again and again. Now, this doesn't ensure that all wealthy people are miserable. That's not what I'm saying. It means that possessions cannot serve as a source for happiness. They can't be the root of happiness. Um, True happiness can only come from beyond the sun. From beyond the sun. And it doesn't cost us anything. But it costs Christ everything. Stockpiling personal possessions, it it can't be a cause for happiness. It it doesn't fill the emptiness in the heart. It it actually becomes uh, the source of grief, really worrying about everything that you have. The the more that you have, the more that you have to worry about, the more that you you see throughout your life that that the thieves are stealing, uh, the rust is destroying, and the moths are eating. You just can't find happiness in material possessions. It's not possible. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus warned, he said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed in the Greek there means a wanting desire of always acquiring more. Jesus says beware of that. Um, For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions? You know, can we trust the words of Jesus? Are they reliable enough where we can believe what Scripture and Christ say? Of course we can. Because, because Luke 12 is also the same chapter where Jesus offers the parable of the fool who filled the barns. And afterward he says to his own disciples, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That is what we are looking for. We are looking for a better country, a new kingdom, where Christ rules and where righteousness dwells, where people are honest, where there is integrity, where there is truth, and justice, 
because the king on the throne at that day will be the righteous Christ. We'll probably look at the, the, the bumbling barn builder again uh, next week. We haven't covered him for a couple of years. We were in Luke before we came to this series, but that was way back in Luke chapter 12, about three years ago. We, we talked about the guy who built the barns, uh, filled them up, tore them down, built bigger barns, and, and Jesus calls him a fool. You fool, to this day your soul will be required of you, and then what will be of all of your possessions? Look at that next week with Solomon. He's a picture of that as well. Um, the barn builder left behind a massive inheritance like Solomon will, and he's going to retain no control over that after he dies. So Solomon's going to lament next week. He's not going to be able to retain any control over what he left, uh, leaves behind after he dies. Folks, if, if, you really, if you really like storing up treasure on earth, you better skip next Sunday. That's a warning right now. You better skip next Sunday. Now wait, you don't want to skip next Sunday because if you're not here, the rest of us will know. Boy, I kind of backed us all in a corner right there. You better be here next Sunday or we'll know why you skipped. It's better to, to learn from Solomon's mistake than to repeat it ourselves. Solomon doesn't want us repeating again and again. That's going to be a tough one next Sunday. One of the toughest I've ever given. And uh, I've been waiting 10 years to give that message. Really. I, I, I had an experience in the state capitol when I was doing ministry there um, in, uh, in, in being approached on inheritance. And I'm like, you know, the, the people are just misunderstanding this, and, and I can't wait. You kind of file it away and say, well, there's going to be a point where I'm be able to talk about inheritance. That's a tough one. It's going to be, it's going to be hard for all of us. Um, bring your kids. Bring your kids. Uh, make sure they don't let the air out of your tires before next Sunday morning. They're saying, I don't know if I want mom and dad to hear this. Yeah, we need to hear it. We need to be wise. And next, next week we will cover that. It was going to be a great Sunday. Please come. Football, fun, games, more worship. Wonderful worship this morning, Gerald. Wonderful worship and everybody who participated. Uh, amazing. As we look, we continue to look here in verse, chapter thir- or verse 13. We see Solomon's analysis of his data. He had his test. Uh, now he has the analysis. He said, And I saw the wisdom that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Isn't that good? What a relief to our souls to know that. Wisdom exceeds folly. Here's a question by a little or by a lot? Well, think light versus darkness. A lot. Solomon says, consider light and darkness, wisdom being light, his experience in materialism, in wine, women, and song. That is his life in complete darkness. He's honest with us. We love about Ecclesiastes. He he doesn't hide his failures. And near the end of the life, end of his life, Solomon begins to see a little bit of the light. 
Just a little bit of the light. Yeah, he took the long way around. He really did. He really took the long way around. He, he, he stopped in JFK, did a plane change, went to Miami, lay over in a plane change, then went through O'Hare. He just, you ever have been on one of those flights? You just stop and change planes and do it all again. But in chapter 12, as we finish Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that Solomon finally arrives. He finally arrives. But none of us with any sense would want to take that same route on our way to a final destination. We don't want to live in the error that Solomon lived in. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. We don't have to live in darkness. We can live in the light. Thankfully, because the source of light is living, it's alive and active in God's Word, we don't have to wait till the end of our lives to look back at what we have done and then lament like Solomon does. We, don't, we can now abort this experiment in our lives, call it failed without waiting for the final results, and we can see the light. Speaking of himself, Jesus said to his disciples in that same passage, for a little while longer, the light is among you. While you have the light, walk in the light so that your darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness, he does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. John 12, verse 30. Boy, I just start, started paging through the, the instances in Scripture that contrast light and darkness you can't exhaust them all. Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, Epistles. Christ is the light of the world. As we observed last week, you know, Solomon, he, he indulged in every form of sensuality and, and greed. And, and his analysis is showing that his experiment is representative of someone who walked his life in darkness. It's darkness. And... and and what's his final conclusion to the experiment? Well, it's, it's found in verse 14. We had the analysis. Now look at the conclusion in, in verse 14. He says, the fool walks in darkness. It's a fool who does this type of life. John MacArthur writes, the fool is not one who is mentally deficient, but is morally bankrupt. It's not that he cannot learn wisdom, but that he won't. He refuses to know, fear, and obey God. Folks, therefore, could a fool, uh, in, the, in the eyes of the world, appear like he's really, really intelligent and really, really successful? Last week, Solomon said, I was greater than all. Could a fool have all the appearances and all the trappings of a successful life and still walk in darkness? That's a, that's a picture of Solomon. That is Solomon. And he says, essentially, by playing the fool, my life looked just like that of an unbeliever. Looked just like them. The words he uses in the passage describing his life, he uses futile, 
darkened. His life, therefore, became to him as grievous. Literally, the word is evil. He saw his life as grievous and evil. And in verse 17, it says, He hated even his own life. Futile, darkened, grievous. Folks, false teachers will never tell you and never warn you that this is what a heaping helping of wealth and prosperity just might get you. Futility, darkness, evil. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, That'll make you hate it. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Greediness, again, same word there. uh, That means uh, just an unbridled hunger of always wanting more. Always needing more. It's it's a hunger that just can never be satisfied under the sun. And and how does Paul, the apostle, conclude that passage? He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. God inspired Solomon to write this book so that you and I don't have to be the fool who walks in darkness all of our life. We, we can walk through life in an entirely different way. As seen in verse 14, it shows us the wise man's eyes are in his head. That's the contrast there. The fool walks in darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head. The president of Wheaton College, Philip Riken, writes this. To say that the person... Has the wise person has eyes in his head means that he can actually see what he is doing and where he is going. He has a useful perception of life. By contrast, the fool does not have eyes at all, but walks in darkness. The darkness is not just around him, but also inside of him because he has no eyes with which to see. End quote there. you want to know how you can discern a wise man from a fool? The wise person isn't, isn't uh, reserved only for men, but women as well. How do you discern a wise man from a fool? You can tell by where they've walked. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You know where Solomon walked? Straight in the front doors of the Lamborghini dealership. All of his life wanting more and more and more. And at the end, he is never, ever satisfied with it. This is the element of wisdom that can become so painful for us and for Solomon. You know, once we have eyes in our head, once we have wisdom and we can see, 
it shows us where we've walked. It shows us exactly where we've walked throughout our life. This is Solomon's anguish because he has wisdom. He has eyes in his head as well. And he's looking back now at his life and wisdom. And, and he sees, he senses the majority of it all was just wasted. Wasted in darkness. And he realizes, you know, I am that fool. I'm the one who played the fool. That'll make you a little grumpy. To be late in life and having exhausted most of your life and then looking back and say, I'm that one. I'm the fool who walked in darkness. If you know Christ, Jesus as Savior today, the Apostle Paul says, you were formerly in darkness, but now you are, the light, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, Paul writes, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Mm. I want to be wise. I want it to matter. I want it to count. I want Christ to be glorified and redeemed. This is the wisdom that God gives us. It, it illuminates Wisdom is pictured as light. It gives light uh, to those uh, so we can see where we're walking. That's what this does. It just shows us where we are walking. It illuminates our path. It's almost like we have eyes in our head now. We can see where we're going, finally. And, and the wisdom in Ecclesiastes, this type of wisdom, is so profound. It's so important. It's so valuable for us. But what's its ultimate worth? What is wisdom's ultimate worth? I, I, I think this is huge right here. Yeah, I think it's often overlooked in this passage as well. As Solomon turned to weigh the consequences of a life broadly wasted in folly, he says this, What will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? Anybody just get a sick feeling in their stomach? Looking at that again? It isn't merely that hedonism produces the same poor results over and over again. Solomon now finally recognizes that he has left behind a pattern of behavior that will be followed by the next generation. You know, as Israel's king, he served as a role model. Solomon was to be the role model for, for his culture, for his time, for his generation. 
And it isn't an explicit in this text, but I think it, con- it contributes to it, his agony here. Both the wise and the fool alike, both will die and be forgotten under the sun. But what type of influence has the king left by his foolishness? Now, regardless whether this is Solomon's focus in verse 12, the, the biblical the principle remains biblical. So I'm, I'm going to push this button right here. Who has been watching where the king has walked? Everybody in the kingdom. Including who? Yeah, including his son. Including Rehoboam. Including the next king. Solomon says, and what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? He's going to do exactly what dad did. He's going to look just like him. That's the problem. That's the influence that was left behind, a worldly influence. There's a song that's written by a group named Casting Crowns. You ever heard of them? song is called Slow Fade. You ever heard it? If you haven't, you need to listen to it after service today when you get home. If you've got technology, just download it. And Slow Fade by Casting Crowns. Um, the opening lyrics go something like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. That's a fact. That's a fact. I had a long conversation with Russell yesterday, Russell Lauks. Russell and Stacy, I, I can't find a better example in our midst than Russell and Stacy. Yeah. Do those 12 little feet, do they follow you everywhere you go? They follow everywhere. I imagine they do. You strive to be good parents to them. And since you love them, you're concerned about where their feet go. You realize that their feet are right behind you. Would you then walk out into busy traffic in the dark? No. They're surely to follow you. You want, you want to have wise eyes in your head. You want to be illumined because the ones who come behind are going to follow for sure. They're going to see exactly where you're leading them. Folks, that is wisdom. That is wisdom, having eyes in our heads so that we know the little feet that come behind us will be safe. It's good good. Good benefits to this. It's, it's wonderful too because wisdom, it, it's not discerning. It doesn't discriminate between the rich and the poor. You don't have to have a lot of wealth in order to lead by wisdom. No matter what a person earns, your family knows when you're responsible, when you, when you pay your bills, when you work hard, when you return late. You know, I imagine more than just a couple of us here become a little bit frustrated when you, you return 
late from work. You miss dinner and, you know, you have to warm it up in the microwave because you've worked late. We don't prefer that. We don't want to miss dinner. But I can remember when I was about Landon's age. Little one. And my dad would come in late from the field from working. And I saw he worked all day. You know what I tell mom? I can't wait till I can work all day. Parents, your kids want to be like you. Love them. Lead them into the light. Everybody wants to be like their dad and mom. Comparing to not working, comparing to being lazy, not productive. Wisdom gives you eyes to see where you are leading them. It goes to education, finances. In fact, even Solomon here, he's speaking of things just under the sun. He's not really even talking about spiritual, but you can go there. Your kids know where your feet go. And they will follow you when you lead them. Over the last few decades, what has, what has Rehoboam perceived as the most important thing to dad? The world. The world. Do you think that's going to have a little bit of an effect on the next king? Yeah. And the next king? And the next king? Oh, yeah. Your kids are going to look like you. I assure, I assure you to some level they're, they're going to follow in your steps. There's, there's a commonly misunderstood passage that I've never gotten to talk about, uh, at least in church here, in the Mosaic Law. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 7. The Lord says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. You know, Moses has made it clear in other passages. You can look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. Children are not punished for the sins that their parents commit. The law is clear in that. But but Moses also recognized that children will learn their same breaches of the law, their same behavior from their parents. So the generational curse is merely a recognition, a recognition in the law that children raised in an environment will absorb that environment and they will practice what they have learned from their parents. And therefore, they will experience similar consequences as their parents. Kids are going to look like their parents. What an opportunity. What an amazing opportunity for us. He gives the same promise in a mirrored reflection of that in the law that also your children to the third and fourth generation will be blessed of those who fear the Lord. Tremendous opportunity for us. How many children do you think Solomon had? A few more than Russell and Stacy, even. Last week, 
we discovered he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Well, that results in a lot of kids. There were a lot of kids in his household. Can the sins of one king afflict an entire nation? Do you think Solomon in all his wisdom can now sense that everything he has done will be repeated by the generations that follow? He, he will go to the grave with most of his life a waste. Here's his reflection then in verse 15. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Who acted in, as a fool in the narrative? Solomon. His is the fate of the fool. And, and of all his immense wisdom that, that never left him, we saw last week, his wisdom remained with him. With all of that, he was not able to prevent his slide into moral depravity. Even with all that wisdom. Actually, this was his exact complaint if you, if you remember back into chapter 1. Even with all of his knowledge and wisdom, what was crooked could not be straightened. What was lacking could not be accounted for. That was his complaint when he started the experiment. Human wisdom, wisdom under the sun, he laments, offers no, no remedy against the entrapments of sin. What's crooked can't be straightened. All the wisdom in the world could not prevent Solomon's slip into vanity. Human wisdom can't do it. And in this context, I believe we, we need to hear his lament. Why then have I been extremely wise? What has been the point of all my wisdom? Didn't help anything. Didn't save me. Can't save me. Can't save anyone else. Wisdom alone under the sun does not have the capacity to prevent a wasted life. You've got to look beyond the sun. And therefore, in verse 17, So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after the wind. His behavior has ruined his life and the life of many who will follow. Generation again and again. That, that's, a, that's a pretty sad life. Pretty sad life. Just for review, as we wrap up here, just for review now. Do the actions of parents affect their children? You can take that as a positive, not only a negative. Of course it does. Is it possible, do you believe it is possible that the moral behavior of just one king, just one king, can have lasting effects on a whole nation, on a whole nation, even an entire kingdom of people who follow him? Absolutely. I'm glad you answered yes. For this serves as a principle for an entire kingdom of people who follow after another king named Christ. Scripture says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness 
and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but you now are the people of God. You, have, uh, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what God has done for us. And while King Solomon failed to heed the light, Christ the King says, I am the light. And, and he says, I will give my disciples light so I know they no longer have to walk in darkness. They don't have to live in this way. For when you've received Christ as king, Colossians 1 verse 13 says this, God has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Through faith in Christ, we become residents, permanent residents of a new and a better kingdom, a godly kingdom. Christ is our pattern. And what will the man do who will come after the king except what he has already done? That's our call, to do what Christ has done. Worship, love, servitude, sacrifice, giving all that we got for others, exact opposite of what Solomon has done. As we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Christ becomes our King. He is now our influence, and we will follow in His steps. Because we are born of God, we become sons and daughters of the Most High through Christ. 1 Peter 1.14 As obedient children to our Heavenly Father, we are not to be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But, Scripture says, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In short, look like Jesus. Look like Jesus. It's just too heartbreaking that Solomon failed to grasp this earlier in life. It, it, that doesn't happen to us. It doesn't have to happen to us. Perhaps he would not have been so sad about everything that he was going to leave behind next Sunday as we continue our journey from vanity to sanity.